from the nation's leading supply chain university program, we welcome you to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research. Here are your hosts, Steve Tracy and Irv Grossman. Today we have Henry Inez with us. Uh, nice to see you today or hear from you, I guess. Um, yeah, great to be here. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background and I hopefully I can do some of this justice. Um, Henry's the CEO and co-founder of Chain Parency, a technology startup and developer of GoTrace, the first true turnkey SaaS blockchain traceability solution for organizations of any size. Uh, Mr. Inez also continues to serve on the steering committee of GoChain Foundation, the developer of GoChain Blockchain, a highly scalable, enterprise-grade, 100% Ethereum-compatible, and green blockchain protocol based on GoChain's novel proof-of-reputation consensus mechanism. And I'm just going to ask you today, Henry, you're going to explain that all to us so we understand we'll, we'll become smart in this. Um, Henry, Henry's got a wide, various career, um, began his career as a management consultant for Fortune 500 companies. Later, he worked in corporate finance, focusing on the sell side M&A within IT and consumer and industrial product sectors before transitioning to merchant banking and direct investments in early stage technology companies. Henry's an advisor to multiple tech startups and serves as a mentor for accelerators and incubators globally. He's got a passion for global impact and seeks to leverage technology for the benefit of humanity. Henry holds a proud BS in finance from Penn State University and an MBA from uh, Duke's Fuqua School of Business. Great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Irv. So tell us a little bit about uh, how, how you landed in chains, par- chain parency and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the blockchain model. How did, how did you end up in, in, in being passionate and interested in this area? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I guess it's a bit of a bit of a long uh, road, but um, I guess years back I was uh, on the investing side and um, uh, had been investing in um, really early stage, you know, high tech, innovative companies. And uh, one of the areas that we have always focused on is on the fintech side. <clears throat> when blockchain really started to take off, from my perspective, I just thought this was an amazing opportunity. Uh, so bullish on the technology and its implication for uh, various industries and sectors globally. So I really jumped all in. Initially, it was just um, you know investing, but then supporting uh, various projects. Then dove all in on the uh, uh, operational entrepreneurial side <clears throat> and uh, eventually joined the leadership team uh, for GoChain, which I'm sure we'll talk about more <clears throat> on this podcast. Um, but uh, as a, a protocol, in addition to the, the protocol and our, our validator ecosystem, uh, we've also developed applications and services on top of the uh, blockchain protocol. And one of these applications is uh, uh, through an organization that we now call Chain Parency. And that is uh, a, a standalone entity now that maintains 100% of the IP of the GoTrace system, which is a, a really novel turnkey SaaS blockchain track and trace uh, solution. Um, that's really designed for having transparent supply chains and advancing sustainability. So these are areas that I'm really passionate about um, and also I think is very timely and important uh, for many industries right now. Uh, And I'm sure Steve will touch on this greatly just in terms of supply chain resiliency and transparency, but also really supply chain is one of the best use cases when we talk about blockchain technology. So that's another area that just it fits very well. Henry, could you talk a little bit about, um, I'm sure our audience would be interested in this, and this is a common misconception, or I, I call it a myth, about the difference between what it is that 
GoChain and Chain Parency do, and what everybody talks about in the news, which is cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Like, what what's the what's the difference between these these two things? When we talk about cryptocurrencies, and, and most likely people are very familiar with Bitcoin. So love Bitcoin. You know, I think uh, cryptocurrencies is a tremendous innovation and uh, a, a strong believer in it. But it's important that we um, really uh, sort of separate the two. When we talk about blockchain technology, that is the underlying technology. Think about that like an operating system. And um, as in any sort of operating system uh, ecosystem, you have applications and services that sit on top of that operating system. And that's really what the difference is. And so when we talk about blockchain, that's the underlying technology. Then you can have applications like uh, uh, digital assets, for example, like cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies essentially sit on top of that protocol and it's able to do what it does based on the underlying technology, which is blockchain. Now, you mentioned earlier when you were talking to Irv about the different types of blockchain networks, you know, public, private, permissioned, all these different things. And you mentioned about the different uh, proof mechanisms that are used. Um, Most people think that there are few of these. Um, You and I both know that there are not. There are many. So can you talk about just some some of the more common ones and about the uniqueness of the uh, of the GoChain Foundation and and your your proof network and the way it functions? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so if you take a step back for if for doesn't matter what blockchain technology you're looking at, there's always going to be three attributes that you are measuring or evaluating. We describe this as uh, or the industry would would, would uh, call this the blockchain trilemma. So with any blockchain, <clears throat> you're talking really about security, the level of scalability, and the level of decentralization. These are three critical aspects of a blockchain technology. Now, <clears throat> depending on what protocol you choose, will have implications on um, ver- these various attributes. Now, nobody's going to sacrifice on security. So security has to remain super high for any protocol, of course. These are um, all cryptographically secure blockchains. The real trade-off starts to happen um, between scalability <clears throat> and level of decentralization. And that really boils down to your consensus framework, <clears throat> which essentially is, if you think about it on a very, very basic term, is how do you process or add that next block to the blockchain? Different blockchains handle this exact mechanism differently, and it really depends on their consensus framework. Um, the very common one, for example, that people will hear um, is uh, like Bitcoin, which is called proof of work. And we don't need to get down to the weeds, but <clears throat> what a lot of protocols have out there is they'll use, um, say, thousands of miners. Uh, these are, say, anonymous miners. Um, they essentially <clears throat> use a lot of computational power to solve some complex mathematical problems in order to be able to be uh, rewarded the opportunity to, to process transactions on the blockchain. And uh, which is great. This is a, this is a really good innovation, for, and, and depends on your use case. It's very very good for a particular type of protocol, but that has tremendous implications on scalability. So uh, when you have a high processing power, significant computations, um, this will affect the amount of time it requires uh, and the amount of energy required to process transactions on a blockchain. So this is just something to consider um, in a case like that you would have very um, <clears throat> high level of decentralization, but it would really affect your scalability. So that just gives you uh, an example. 
Then there's other protocols that are really, really scalable, but then they're much, they start to approach much more of a centralized solution, which is really runs counter to a lot of the uh, typical, the spirit of blockchain technology. So, you know, when we talk about GoChain, um, we came at this uh, from a different, a different way. And because what we're trying to do is really drive enterprise mainstream adoption. And in order to do that, you absolutely need a scalable blockchain solution, enterprise-grade scalability. And so <clears throat> GoChain, we basically struck sort of what we think is the right balance between centralization, decentralization, and scalability. So we, we work with a maximum of 50 organizations around the world. <clears throat> These are legal, highly reputable organizations. So think about like publicly traded companies, Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, NGOs, and, and leading universities. These organizations essentially form the governance framework for the GoChain protocol, and they process the blocks on the GoChain blockchain. But because of the way this is set up and optimized, we're able to have tremendous scalability in terms of <clears throat> numbers of transactions per second. So we're 100x in magnitude compared to in transactions per second compared to, say, Ethereum. Cost is almost frictionless compared to other blockchains out there. So on average, you're talking about a penny per transaction. And very important for us is that um, we're also really what we, you know, we're calling it a green protocol because our carbon footprint, you know, as example, compared to Bitcoin, we're almost 100% greener. So, so this is important, right? So if you're an enterprise and you're uh, wanting to get into a blockchain solution, you might care about what organizations are processing the blocks on the blockchain and, and, and who's handling your data. Um, and to ensure or feel more confident that their interests are aligned, they're not colluding or being bad actors. And, uh, you know, the, the, the high caliber of organizations that we have as node validators it gives you that level of comfort. So hopefully uh, that was a bit of a long way, long winded way to get here. But it, 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 these are uh, important considerations for any blockchain that you use. And uh, also to, to show, you know, some differentiation about how GoChain goes about to do it. So you said there's like 50, there's 50 players that are in this, in your, in the go chain group, that's maybe what you're look you're aiming at the 50 number. That's right. It's a target number. Um, <clears throat> we, um, currently we're at about 20 organizations and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I like to remind people it's not a race. We're not trying to get to 50 as fast as possible. It takes a long time to, um, onboard, uh, you know, super highly reputable organization, uh, for example, we're, we're so blessed with the opportunity to be able to have, call Penn State as one of our node validators. Um, I'm personally biased about that. I think it's wonderful. I love it. Um, but, uh, it, you know, to have a world class organization like that to be part of our ecosystem, it takes time. It takes time, uh, a lot of vetting on both sides. So we we kind of just want to consistently improve our reputation score and always improve the quality of organizations that we onboard on an incremental basis. Now, Henry, that 50 number, that doesn't limit the number of clients that you can serve. It just limits the number of nodes on the network. Is that correct? That, absolutely. That's right. So yeah, we that's going to be sort of the, the, the max limit factor for the node validators. But in, in terms of our business and how we support customers, no, there's, there's no bounds there. And we, we work with enterprise, any organization of all sizes. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the decision-making process for an organization that wants to participate in a blockchain. Um, and let's maybe 
parse that a little bit into why they would want to participate in a in a particularly unique blockchain like chain parency. Um, my impression is that um, for some of the reasons that you've already stated, pretty much any organization would be attracted. You know, it's it's a sustainable enterprise. You know, you have a low carbon footprint. Um, you know, the 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 proof of reputation is is unique and almost everybody if they if they look at it they're very well aware of the the companies and and uh, NGOs and academic institutions that participate but then when somebody's thinking about okay all right I, I've heard about blockchain I kind of have a rough understanding of what it is go chain chain parency seems like the right partner for us where do they go from there like how do they decide what they're going to use a blockchain for where it's going to benefit their organization what are the success factors that they have to consider? You know, what, what are those decision points that, that everybody has to be aware of? Yeah, no, great question. And I, I, um, I would say that typically the organizations uh, that we deal with at this stage, there's, there's two, two factors uh, I would say is pretty common. One is that <clears throat> these are maybe pioneers or, or are really looking forward looking organizations because they're willing to adopt technology at a state now that. Um, perhaps some of their competitors or peers, they just aren't willing to quite do it yet. So we see, um, you know, I, I call these organizations champions because they're really, you know, ready to try to adopt new technology and really lead the way in terms of deploying technology to match the claims that they're making. Right. So that's one thing. The second thing is that most likely these organizations, their existing uh, supply chain traceability solution right now has some friction points, right? So they've probably done some uh, survey throughout the, the market right now to look at other traceability solutions, blockchain and non-blockchain, probably compared it and said, you know what? We really want to lead in the space. We really want to do this. We, we've, we've done our research that blockchain sounds like the next move. Now, to your point, Steve, is like, okay, now what do we do, right? Because there's so much noise. There's so much, everybody's talking about blockchain. And so I do think organizations start to look at the different attributes associated with them. And the easiest one is always cost. So they start to say, okay, so what does it take to implement blockchain? Like, what does that even mean? Do I need to go out and does my, can my team do this already? You know, do they have the skills to do this or wait, do we need to go hire? Oh, maybe we need to outsource. And so I think they start to go through this, exercise about cost and resources. And then they say, well, what other requirements are needed? And depending on what organization, what blockchain solution provider you talk to, um, the reality is there's there's different business models out there, right? And so some people are selling you cloud. Some people, there may be an ERP requirement to it, or you know, there just may be other elements associated, other software requirements. And so from our perspective, we, we really much, uh, really uh, very much come at it from being hardware, software, cloud agnostic, right? We don't, we're not selling anything else except for a, a turnkey um, blockchain as a service type solution. And so we, and, and then to top it all off, when you start to see what some blockchains, um, you know, transaction or gas fees, these are all factors that contribute significantly as they start to make their decision. And uh, it, it's tough to be a sustainable enterprise pursuing ESG when your blockchain isn't uh, as efficient as it should be, right? So it runs counter to your narrative. 
So after, yeah, so after they, they, you know, going through this, this rigorous exercise, that's a lot of times how organizations end up coming to us because we check off a lot of those boxes. We make it easy, very affordable, you know, low carbon footprint, very sustainable solution. And then anchored by this proof of reputation consortium of highly reputable organizations, all of that serves enterprises very well globally. Why do you think, you know, you mentioned that you, you were on the investing side initially and then ultimately through, you know, uh, the medical community and now in, into, in with Chainparency and GoChain. Why is blockchain such an important emerging technology and, and where do you see it going in the next couple of years? Well, I, I think especially where we are all right now, it is so important. I think when we talk about, you know, terms like transparency, um, authenticity, and to be able to um, audit and verify, there's just so many claims out there right now, whether you're talking about sustainability or ESG or on the, on the food security side. I mean, there's so much happening right now in terms of mislabeled or fraudulent um, products and then go to pharma or healthcare and, and people have concerns about authenticity of products and or perish, perishability of goods and you know, or, or vaccine perishability, these kind of questions that are raised, these are very important times. I think that supply chain transparency is so important. And so you have a technology that like blockchain that really helps those organizations that want transparency and they're willing to be able to be audited on a real time basis through the blockchain technology to show their commitment to transparency and to the claims that they're making. That's I think that's pretty bold. You know, but I think that is the right way to go. And I think from a consumer standpoint, consumers will respect that. So in the scheme of, of technology, technology, as one entrepreneur friend once said, it's either going to be a painkiller or a vitamin. Mm. So in an organizational framework, is this, is this considered more of a painkiller or a vitamin? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I think it's both, you know, because it helps to solve some immediate pain points. There are operational improvements that you can immediately uh, benefit from. And the good thing about blockchain is it's it's really, if you do it right, it really just complements your existing system. You're not ripping it out to try to put in new plumbing for blockchain technologies. That's actually not the case. It can be very complementary. And then if you do it really well, in addition to their operational lift, it very very well could lead to premium pricing, new customers, new markets, um, and obvious, the obvious benefit of innovation as well. So there's obvious operational benefits, uh, but I don't like to lead on the cost front only because I think there's tremendous opportunity for upside if you put blockchain technology, because again, you are deciding to go down the path of transparency and real-time auditability. That's a good thing. So pedigree in its own right, um, just being able to give some confidence around that should be a revenue enhancement to the business in, in addition to just providing security and reputation to the organization. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe that. I mean, there's a lot of statistics out there that consumers are starting to, to be more loyal and reward, reward um, brands that are willing to be transparent, you know, and I would could certainly give you anecdotes. There's other uh, organizations who would make such claims, but then if they don't, don't do it right, it can also very much backfire them because uh, there's so much technologies, there's so much auditability these days. It's very easy, I think, for people to to double check and try yeah. to verify whatever claims are being made. 
So I don't think most people realize how much fake there is out there. Um, I have a number of colleagues that have done research in the pharma space, in the repair parts space. Um, I've done a little bit of work in that area. Um, of course, I have firsthand experience in the textile markets, right? Because that's my background. And um, you, you would you would not believe. I mean, it's it's estimated that somewhere around twenty percent of all the pharmacal pharmaceuticals distrib- distributed in the United States. And, and mind you, a lot of them are distributed through networks that are not necessarily on the up and up, you know, internet pharmacies and things like that. It's estimated that 20% of them, um, either in full or in part, are not authentic. They're not the authentic uh, drug that's being provided. The same happens in the um, in the medical device space, believe it or not. You know, uh, the same is true uh, in repair parts. What it boils down to is any time that there's money to be had, People are willing to create fakes. I mean, we all, you know, we've all seen the the faux, you know, brand stuff, you know, on the streets of various cities where you can buy it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not real. Everyone knows it's not real, but, you know, they'll pay 20, 30, 50 bucks for, for a knockoff. We know that it violates intellectual property. We know it's not real, but it, it happens. But that's a microcosm of what happens on a much bigger scale on things that have a lot more value, like pharmaceuticals, medical devices, repair parts, electronics. Aircraft parts. Um, yeah. Oh, aircraft. yeah. Uh, the, right. the Navy did a study and I don't, I may be misquoting this, but the Navy did a study a few years ago. Actually, some of my colleagues worked on it and they looked at accidents that occurred with uh, failures um, in, in aircraft and in uh, other, other types of uh, situations where there was a, a major incident. And they identified that one of the most significant root causes was, um, was fake parts that had somehow not been interdicted in the process because, you know, we buy directly from a source, but that source is buying from multiple, sometimes three, five, 10,000 suppliers. And if they can't keep track of where all the parts are coming from or that they meet all the quality standards or whatever, and, and if there's money to be made, people are more than willing to, to create, you know, counterfeit parts and, and introduce them in a system for money. It's just, it's just the nature of the business. Um, I had a student here a couple of years ago, who created a whole business around that um, about uh, in the medical device space, a really interesting young man uh, was part of our, uh, or if you would remember our supply chain uh, case competition where we used to do the innovation yes, competition. Yes, and yeah. one of those teams actually created a company around that. So Henry, when you think about, you know, the technology where it's going, maybe not just within GoChain or chain parency, but you know, just the technology in general, where's it going to start? Where are we going to start to see it more, more commonly used? Where's blockchain going to show up for us, both as consumers and as supply chain professionals? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I do think consumers are starting to see it now. And, and uh, I would say in the agri food products, you, you'll definitely start to see more on consumer uh, packaged goods. I think it's still early, right? So you have the opportunity now when you're shopping to start to, to uh, scan a QR code or something and see it, right? And you know, anecdotally in our business as well, like we we give customers the opportunity to scan some proteins when they're at a restaurant, for example, right? And so I think these things are starting to happen. But the other part that really is going to accelerate all this, I think, is there are just a growing body of regulation that's happening right now. It's going to really accelerate in the years to come. And uh, 
initially, I, I think these are, you know, these champions and, and innovators are leading the way, but compliance is also going to compel a lot of organizations to really start to do this. I think it's, there's no choice about it. If you need digital records and forward backwards traceability within 24 hours, and if you can afford it, you know, in an affordable manner, start to deploy that via blockchain, you really should, right? I think this is what's going to start to happen. And, uh, at the same time, I think right now we're seeing class action lawsuits. You're seeing lots of litigation out there for claims that are not able to be properly verified or, or things like that. So I think this, you're going to start to see the, the need to deploy a blockchain-based solution in combination with other technologies, IoT and, and, and everything else. That's going to really help, I think, uh, not only on the compliance side, but certainly on the, uh, you know, just the verification of ESG sustainability, these kind of things. Uh, so, yeah, I think supply chain is a really, it's happening. That's already happening. And Steve, you brought up a great one, like for textiles and fashion. I think that's just so important. I think that that's another one. And when you're talking about healthcare and pharma and traceabilities of PPE to vaccines, these are all already pretty, uh, I would say, pretty hot topics that's already uh, happening on the supply chain side. Of course, broadly speaking, we're talking about um, blockchain on, on, on DeFi and, you know, on finance. There's so many areas there that that's already happening, too. And then um, this year has been an, a huge breakout year for non-fungible tokens and NFT, which is, again, that's that is here to stay. Right. That everyone's, you know, there's some euphoria around it initially, but. Every business is, is, is looking again back at their own business now and saying, hey, how does how do NFTs fit in? There is a supply chain part to NFTs. There is collectibles, right? There is redeemable NFTs. It could be ticketing. There's so many things. So I, I think it's already happening on multiple fronts. And you see even on, on corporate balance sheets, right? People are starting to hold cryptocurrencies. So it's happening on multiple fronts. It really is. I think this has been an important, uh, you know, 12, 18 months in particular, um, just in the current environment we're in, uh, where people are really looking and, 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 you know, you look no further than El Salvador, right? Having Bitcoin as legal tender. So it, it's, it's happening. It, it is happening in a lot of ways from enterprise supply chain to finance, um, to just mainstream art, right? So these things are starting to happen across the board. Yeah, the textile one I can speak to firsthand. Of course, you know, we, we've all heard in the news over the last several years about the questions about cotton coming from Xinjiang province in Western China. And um, I made the comment that because I, again, I have a lot of experience in the textile industry is that, you know, uh, the news media is painting organizations with a broad brush and just saying, well, if you can't identify where your cotton's coming from, and if it's coming from China, it's possible, by the way, not likely, but possible that it's being coming from Xinjiang province and possible that it's being harvested um, illegally or using forced labor or other things, right? It's certainly possible. But your example of like, well, if an organization can demonstrate that it's not, that's a benefit, right? We can say we have proof that our, our stuff, I, I, I saw a, a special on, I think it was on NPR the other day, where some of the consumers in China are saying that they're not buying from certain brands because they're not sure that the cotton that's being used in the manufacture of those brands is not coming. And these are people in their own country, right, uh, standing up against something that's that's wrong. 
the other example that I have, which I can't go into great detail, is I was an expert witness in a case a number of years ago about organic cotton. And we used to have a joke in the textile industry that if everything that was labeled with organic cotton was true, all the cotton in the world would be organic, <laughs> right? When in fact, it's less than 1% of all the organic cotton grown. And of course, my company that I work for was very diligently honest and and we we didn't really use organic cotton uh nor did we advertise it because it wasn't commonly available but many other organizations did and so you know these kinds of things there's there's both a benefit um as well as a compliance issue you know if you can go to yeah. the marketplace and say hey, look i can prove my stuff came from where i said it came from and was harvested the way i said it was harvested or was gathered the way or or mine the way it was it was done I can not only meet the compliance needs, but I can also tell my customer that 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 is true as well. And I think that is a big advantage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the uh, regulation we're seeing now, like around IUU and say seafood and things like that. I mean, that's pretty hard. I mean, you know, this is this is quite a I don't use the word burden, but, you know, organizations are going to have to start to think quickly. Like, how do how are they actually going to be compliant to some of these uh, you know, legislation out there or, or laws, how, how do you show that, in fact, you you really do have and maintain ethical supply chains? Um, so, you know, I, I'm, you know, well aware technology is just a tool, right? You got to, there are lots of things you've got to do to solve your problem, but technology should definitely be part of it, should be part of the solution. And if you have a mosaic of different technologies that you can bring together to make sure your data is the integrity of your data and the integrity of your sources of, of your goods, then um, that's going to help your business. It's going to help your business a lot and you'll also be compliant. Excellent. Um, I guess inside of an organization, where's the innovation going to come from, from, from the large you know, multinational players. Like I think about an organization that has like a budget innovation and like, does it come from the, the sales and marketing side? Does it come from the supply chain side? And if so, where and, and how have you, if, I don't know if it, I'm framing that question correctly, but I'm always trying to figure out the source of innovation and how it actually, somebody wakes up one morning and says, we need to do blockchain. We need to, how do we do this? Where, where's that innovation coming from? Where are you seeing it? So where we're seeing it, um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, the, obviously this depends on the organization, but, you know, you're, you're talking about organizations that have a culture, a leadership of, of for innovation, uh, for um, are already pursuing digital transformation. But we see that really on the some sort of uh, uh, within departmental, some, some sort of strategic innovation side of it in, in-house. That's really where we're seeing it. We're not necessarily seeing it coming from supply chain or on the cost side, um, it's really about more of a strategic decision to pursue new innovation for whatever mandate they have. We do see a lot of that right now around ESG and sustainability. So that's really you know coupled with the on the innovation side of it to figure out how can they hit their targets, right? Like that's a that's a big part, and I think technology uh, becomes a, a a a big driver to help them to achieve. Um, their goals. But yeah, that's really, I mean, I would say that's, that's really where we've been seeing it. it's not so much on the operational side, not even on the, you know, not even on the IT side, right? It's really more about those that are, are pursuing innovation 
on a very strategic and, and uh, focused basis. But ESG is really that that is really the frontier for supply chain. I mean, if you think yep. about, I mean, you know, supply chain professionals are dealing with the sources of supply. You know, um, all the different providers to the firm. You know, you're you're even though maybe the supply chain organizations aren't driving it, they're the beneficiaries, right, of blockchain. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> couldn't. I mean, obviously, couldn't do without it. Um, <clears throat> but I just mean in, in terms of like when we're look, looking for the right champion internally, it doesn't originally sort of come from the supply chain side of it, uh, although they're a key stakeholder for it. it. It definitely seems to come more from from the innovation side of the house. So, Very good. Thank you. Henry, what else, what else, you know, when you think about, you know, so we have a, uh, primarily a supply chain audience, um, um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, mostly not exclusively a Penn state true blue audience where, what are some things we didn't ask you that you thought earlier messages, uh, whether it's about blockchain or ESG or other things that are on your mind as a CEO of a firm that we should, our audience should hear from today. I mean, can't can't uh, not mention smart contracts and automation because I think that's that's a huge part of the innovation around um, blockchain, particularly for supply chain. But I think it'd be good to mention because I, a lot of times this is somewhat overlooked is that where blockchain is really interesting as well is that um, there's so much really new opportunity uh, through tokenomics to drive uh, inclusivity and to be able uh, to have uh, or compel people uh, to provide incentives for action, right? So when I think about supply chain and adopting, say, blockchain technology, you need to be able to have the proper incentives for compliance because if you, all the stakeholders don't participate, then it's hard to have a full end-to-end provenance, right? And so um, blockchain and, and, and through tokenization and, and other digital incentive schemes that you can build through technology, there's some interesting projects and approaches that are happening right now that are that can help with compliance, help to get everybody involved in the supply chain uh, to participate, right? And um, uh, yeah, so I think that's one part that's, that's often somewhat overlooked is when you look at the entire supply chain or you look at a community, what are elements that can be uh, tokenized or digitized um, with the blockchain technology that will enable people to be able to participate and give them certain incentives to participate. On one side of participation, it could be speed. And that maybe that's where automation comes in. Like we always like to say, why, why do I have to wait and get paid? If, if I can deliver something to you immediately and there's a smart contract in place, that should be a trigger where I can immediately start to get paid. Right. So that might help drive incentive, right? That, if I can get paid faster, maybe that maybe that's good. But the but the other side of it is we think about if you've got commodities and assets that you can tokenize and and have a sort of a digital twin of that uh, through blockchain technology that opens up all new uh, economies that uh, lots of uh, new stakeholders can participate in. You can raise money in new in new ways. That. Uh, Digitized commodities, those could be traced through the blockchain. So that gives you more comfort to make investment decisions. Um, so anyway, there's, I mean, you see it now, money is already being tokenized, right? Fiat money is already being tokenized. Why not gold? Uh, and I say, why not? Because these are things that are already happening. Uh, you can have tremendous 
liquidity by tokenizing certain assets that traditionally are very illiquid. Um, so these all these kind of things are happening. Then that segues DeFi, and then you start to bring in individuals who can now participate in these kind of investments or transactions, whereas typically they may not have. They may not even be bankable uh, in a normal traditional banking sense. So, but so this kind of thing is happening now through through the use of blockchain technology, and there's projects like this happening. So, uh, I say I bring all this up to to really uh, talk about sort of the you know. Um, the, the diversity of, of, of impact and projects that are happening around blockchain technology beyond the ones that we typically think of. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to come back to the smart contract one in a second, but to, to pivot back to something you said earlier about market participation and access, um, there is a big grant here in the state of Pennsylvania. Actually, several of the members of my department, supply chain information systems, are participating. Um, I didn't realize there's somewhere between like 40 and 60,000 independent farmers in the state of Pennsylvania, which sort of staggered me a little bit when I heard that number. But, you know, many of them are small. And, you know, the, the example you gave allows many of those farmers to have market access that they didn't have before, right? Exactly. You know, um, because through through technology, we're able to perhaps me uh, measure performance in a more granular way that Typically, you know, may not may not have been the case in in, in, in typical constructs uh, that we've all become accustomed to. And if you're measuring performance through delivery, all that's being recorded on a uh, on a blockchain, on a on an immutable ledger. These things can be auditable later, right? And that can show um, levels of performance that maybe that warrants a, a, a loan. So there there are things that I think technology is going to be uh, really uh, a catalyst to help to be able to open up new opportunities and economies. And really, I think if you're a, a bank or a lender, it can give you some additional tools and, and areas where you can measure to see that, you know, the credit worthiness of a particular applicant, right? Beyond traditional tools. And what about this? So smart contracts are a fun thing. We hear about them, right? But I don't know if people really understand how they work. Can you give a sort of a layman's example or say layperson's example of how a smart contract really works. Yeah, I mean, so just at the most basic level, I mean, smart contracts are, they're self-executing computer code, right? And I usually just like to describe it as like, uh, it's sort of an if-then construct. If, if a particular event happens, it will trigger something else. And so you typically will just have two wallets and through smart contracts, uh, a transaction will occur between two and two parties. And that particular transaction is then recorded uh, on a blockchain so you can audit the events of that transaction through the blockchain. But that's really, really how it works. And um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, when you engage in a transaction, you engage in a particular trade or these kind of things uh, between two parties uh, and, or a certain events that trigger. These are how a smart contract can typically work. And uh, if it's, um, you know, money related, then subject to a certain event, then you'll have digital currencies will move from one wallet to another. And then you can go look to the blockchain to, to audit that particular transaction, the timestamp of that transaction. So just at a, at a basic level, that's that's really how it works. But if you think, you know, across all other industries, any transactional level, you can start to think about how something like a, a smart contract can be useful and help automate all sorts of transactions throughout the value chain. And it really, it, it's a win-win for both parties, right? You know, I mean, you for for organizations, they can 
reduce a lot of administrative costs, right? Because the computer code is is doing essentially what humans were doing before. But on the flip side, it improves cash flow for both organizations too, right? Because the transactions move at a quicker speed, so they don't get held up and process that, right? Absolutely. And and uh, like very much of, of what blockchain brings to the table, you're also just disintermediating a lot of typically, right. yeah, th- typically there would have been a trusted party required for some something like this, right? Yeah. And what you're doing instead is just having an you know executable code um, based on certain parameters that were defined um, to be able to to do this transaction seamlessly, right? And so and, and without any argument, frankly, right? So it makes it very clean, makes it very efficient. Um, and so I think you know smart contracts in combination with blockchain is it's a wonderful uh, a wonderful innovation, Harry. It was great to have you today uh, to spend time with us. And, and I understand that you're uh, a corporate sponsor with the CSCR. So I'm looking forward to, you know, learning more from you as we move forward. So, yeah, it's excellent. And, and thank you for your time today on, on the podcast. Oh, it's uh, absolutely uh, my pleasure. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're proud to, to be able to work with uh, Penn State and be members with CSCR. And, and uh, you know, we're already uh, doing quite a uh, pursuing quite a different areas, uh, St- uh, Steve and I and the, and the rest of the team and in very, I would say, novel uh, areas of research as well. So, yeah, anyway, we're proud to be a, a part of it and I appreciate the time this morning as well. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research at Penn State. For information about our sponsorship opportunities, research needs, and professional development offerings, please visit smeal.psu.edu forward slash CSCR.